Hey, grab your Bible, turn with me. The book of Matthew, the 24th chapter. We're going to take our text out of this chapter, and then um, we're going to be in this chapter through the entirety of my message today. We will make a quick jaunt jaunt out of Matthew into the book of 1 Thessalonians, but we won't be there long. The majority of our time will be spent in uh, Matthew chapter 24. So begin reading with me in uh, verse 3, and let's see what the Lord would say to us. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto him, unto them, take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus is is there on the Mount of Olives and he's with his disciples and his disciples ask a question that followers of Jesus have been asking ever since. And we especially ask this question when the world seems to be in chaos. When things get tough and look challenging, we're not sure where this thing is heading. Um, That often reminds us to look upward. And the fact that that this, this human existence, this life we have here on this planet isn't the end, it's just the beginning. Right, And so it reminds us and it draws our attention toward the end of the world. Today, I'm here to tell you 23 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 23. No, I'm not. I'm not that guy, right? Yeah. But the, the disciples are asking Jesus, like, okay, the end of the world. Like, like when's, this thing, when's this thing coming about? And the, um, the title of our series is The God Who Provides. And the cool thing is that we have a God that even provides answers to our questions. And so Jesus provided an answer to these guys' questions. And, and he has answers for us when we start to think about, hey, when's this thing wrapping up? And so I want to talk to you about those answers. Now, just as a fellow human I'll admit to you that I feel like God could have been a little more clear, right? I mean, he could have given us some more details, but, um, but he didn't in his sovereignty. But I want to talk to you about the answers that he did give us today because God is a God who provides answers. I do want to say to you that I believe if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to at least have a general idea of biblical prophecy. Don't shout me down. We, all of us as followers of Jesus, we ought to have some idea of biblical prophecies. In fact, I would encourage you to go home this week and read Matthew 24, go through it with a fine tooth comb because I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights this morning. I encourage you, listen to this, ready? I encourage you to read the book of Revelation. And there's some of you like, oh, hold on, pastor. Whoa, wait a minute. Can I tell you, I think you ought to read Revelation even if you don't understand it. You know why? Listen to this. You, you may not have caught this. In Revelation 1, chapter 3, there's actually a blessing pronounced on those who simply read it and listen to the prophecy of Revelation. There's a guaranteed blessing. It's the only time this happens in the Bible. There's a guaranteed bless, blessing for just reading it. So I would suggest you read it. Give me a big hearty amen. Make you, 
make me think that you're. So the disciples were asking, they were asking about the end of the world. They, like what, 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 is, what is coming and how will we know? What will be the signs of your coming? And, and so Jesus begins to talk to them. And I want to talk to you this morning specifically about the rapture of the church. Now you will not find the word rapture in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say the word rapture. Apostle Paul calls it, calls it being caught away or caught up with the Lord. So the word rapture is not there, but the idea of rapture is certainly in the Bible. And I want to talk to you about that. I do want to mention though, a lot of people, when they talk about the rapture, they talk about the second coming of Jesus. But you need to know that there's a difference between the second coming of Jesus and the rapture. The first coming of Jesus came in Bethlehem when Jesus, the word incarnate, the word made flesh came down and his physical feet walked this planet. It happened, church. That was his first coming. But the Bible tells us that he's gonna come again. And I just, you need to know this. The second time he comes, he's not coming in a manger and he's not coming as an infant. He's coming on a white horse with eyes like fire and a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming back with his saints to execute justice on his enemies. We overuse the word awesome. When you think about the purest definition of awesome, the second coming of Jesus is going to be awesome. His feet are gonna to touch down on the Mount of Olives and he's gonna walk into Jerusalem, set up his millennial reign and we'll be with him there. Come on, that's something to celebrate, amen. That's the second coming of Jesus, but that's not the rapture. And so I wanna to talk to you about the rapture. So let me give you a verse or it gives us some information about the catching away of the church. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And we'll look at this passage of scripture and gives us an idea of what the rapture is and what it's going to look like. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I love how that ends. This ought to be comforting to us. Now, if you're not part of the family of God, this isn't gonna be comforting to you. And that's okay, right? I'm not here to scare you this morning, but fear's not a bad motivator. We're gonna talk more about the comfort that happens as we look at this. Bible says that one day, one day this is going to happen. The Lord is going to appear in the air. We're going to hear his voice. We're going to hear the voice of the archangel and we're going to hear a trumpet blast. Whatever this, whatever this sound is, I have a feeling it's going to draw our attention upward. And when we look up, we are going to see the Lord coming in the air. Our Lord coming in the air. Jesus showing back up. And the Bible says, first thing that's gonna happen is the dead in Christ shall rise. Now you gotta think about this with me. Use your imagination. 
believers who have already passed on whose spirits are in heaven with Jesus, but their body is still here in some, in some degree of decay or even scattered or, or whatever it is. Their spirit's up there, but their bodies are gonna come shooting out of graves. A trumpet's gonna sound. Graves are gonna open up. People are gonna, I said this to the team the other day and the thought it was weird because I was talking about, I was thinking about people lost at sea, believers lost at sea, shooting out of Toluda Bend. Come on, the shoe peak by you. There's got to be some bodies in there, right? Pew, pew. Bodies shooting up. Except they're not the old disease-ridden, age-ridden bodies. They're resurrected bodies, right? Coming, shooting up out of the ground. And there's going to be a reunion as their spirit and their, their resurrected body are joined in the air. We're going to see that, church. After that... Those of us who are still here and we're watching all this, we're going to be caught up too. So there's going to be a reunion of, of those who have passed their spirit and their body are going to be reunited. Then we're going up with them and we're going to be reunited with loved ones who had passed my grandfathers and my grandmothers and people that I love. I believe there's going to be families embracing one another on the way up with the people who we love. Isn't that going to be beautiful church? That's the second reunion, the third reunion, and this is the best of all, is we're gonna be united with our Lord. Never again to be separated. Perfect, perfect connection with the one we sing about. Come on, church. This thing is happening, and it's going to be incredible. It's going to disrupt the earth. Can I hear an amen? I mean, this is gonna be a big deal. Um, there are gonna be people doing business who are believers and all of a sudden, they leave their business to someone else. If you show up here and nobody's here, just come on in. Have the, I mean, the place is yours. Do what you want, because we're gonna be gone. There's gonna be people driving down the interstate and be raptured. Now, all you Tesla drivers, thank you. Come on, that's good. Those Teslas are going to go park in your, in your garage. It's going to be fine. People, those of us who aren't driving Teslas, it's going to be a little chaos. Airplanes. See it? It's going to be chaotic. Millions of people leaving the planet at one time. It's going to rock this world. The world's going to notice. We're not slipping out of here covert-like, right? It's gonna shake things up. I personally believe that it's gonna throw the world into chaos. Um, and we've learned in the last several decades watching American politics, we've heard the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste. Have you heard that? Your politicians have, I promise you they know. Right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. I believe the crisis of us leaving and the chaos it's going, to, it's going to produce on the planet is going to be an opportunity. And it's that opportunity is going to be seized on for there to be the one world government that's coming, the one world currency that, that's coming, the one world faith that's coming, the, the rise of the antichrist. This isn't going to be a good place to be. 
We think the world is dark now, but, but you got to listen to this. The church is still on the planet. And the Bible says that we are salt. So the presence of the church, people filled with the presence of God, we're here. And as bad as things are here with us, imagine what it's going to be without us. This planet's going to be in tough shape. So we're talking about serious business. It's going to be an interesting thing. But the good thing is that Jesus gave some clues about how we know when this is coming. His disciples asked this question, and in case you're asking it today, I want to look in Matthew 24, and we're going to look at the answers that Jesus gave. So the disciples asked him, hey, what are the signs? And one of the major things that he pointed out, we can find in verse 32, beginning in verse 32 of Matthew 24. Read this with me. Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. This is the clue that Jesus gave his disciples. Amen, let's go home. You need a little information, right? How many of you could use a little clarity on that, right? So let me just say to you, first of all, that um, I tend to not be dogmatic on, on end time prophecy. In other words, I'm not, gonna, I'm not the guy who's going to stand up in here and go, this is exactly how it's going to happen. Listen, there are some really smart people in the body of Christ who have been arguing about some of this stuff for decades, centuries. Jody's not going to figure it out. But I do see what I see in scripture. I feel like the people I've learned from, I do have opinions. And so I'm going to tell you my opinions. You get in the word, you do studying. And again, some, there's some variations as to what people see in scripture toward end time prophecy. By the way, at the end of the day, one of us is going to be right. And we'll be in heaven. So what's it matter? Right? Let me show you what I think I see in this scripture. Now, what we do know, and I don't have time to give you the whole foundation for this, but when we look in scripture and we see the fig tree, the fig tree is Israel. Fig tree is always symbolic of Israel. So we know that this passage is talking about Israel. And what it says is when you see the fig tree or when you see Israel, beginning its branches beginning to grow, producing leaves, producing fruit. When you see Israel come back to life, pay attention. Now, let me just tell you something. Israel is still God's chosen people. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know what's funny is, is Israel, the nation of Israel is a secular nation now. I mean, they're completely secular. They're just, they're, they're like us. They're not a quote, Christian nation, they're secular. And Orthodox Jews don't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so how could these people still be God's chosen people? It speaks to the beauty and the graciousness of our God who is faithful to his covenant to the very, very end. He doesn't give up on them and he doesn't give up on us, amen. How many of you know that when we don't behave well, when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. 
And he's faithful to his covenant to Israel that began in Genesis chapter 12. He's still being faithful to that covenant. Now, we also reap what we sow. And we can look back in the Old Testament. Every time Israel went into disobedience, they, they, they ran into hard times and they're still running into hard times. So they're not perfect people, but his covenant with Israel is still intact. So my point is keep an eye on Israel. And it says that when you see the fig tree begin to come to life again, then you'll know, you'll know that the time is coming near. Well, what's interesting is if you look at the history of Israel, um, began in Genesis chapter 12 when it's covenant with Abraham, and then you'll see that Israel became a nation and for, for, for thousands of years, there was the nation of Israel. They were a people, they were a nation. But then in AD 70, in AD 70, the nation of Israel was destroyed when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The nation of Israel ceased to exist like the Aztecs and the Mayans and the, and the, the civilizations that had gone away before them. Israel ceased to exist. And for 1900 years, there was no Israel. There were Jews that were scattered all over the globe, but there was no nation, no state of Israel. And then in 1940s, early in the 1940s, a man named Hitler came to power, began persecuting Jews and, and began going, rounding up Jews in different nations, pulling them in from all the corners of the earth and, and, uh, and killing them. Six million Jews died in the Holocaust. All of this was happening after World War II as the UN was feeling sorry for Israel. They actually decided by vote to, to um, give Israel its homeland back and so that Israel could once again become a nation. And on May 14th, 1948, the first time in history, a civilization, a nation that had been gone away with extinct was reborn in one day on May 14th, 1948, fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 66 verse eight that says, can a, can a nation be born in one day? Yes, the answer is because Israel was reborn in 1948 in one day. Beautiful thing. So all of a sudden, the fig tree has come to life again. When did that happen? It happened in 1948. And then in this passage we just read, it's interesting because Jesus says, this generation won't pass away until, until the end, until the end comes. Now, what generation is he talking about there? Because the disciples probably assumed, like you and I probably do, that the generation he was talking about was the generation of disciples sitting there right next to him. That he was saying, you guys, your generation, Peter and John, your generation won't pass away until the end comes. But we know that's not right. How do we know that? So what generation is, could he talking, be talking about then? Listen to this. How about the generation that gets to see the rebirth of Israel? Could it be that that's the generation that won't pass away until the end? I was studying this week and I went to my dad. I said, dad, were you on this planet in 1948? He said, yes. 
the generation that saw the fig tree come to life again, they're here on this planet right now. Now, there's not as many of them as there used to be. The generation that, that saw that is kind of in their twilight now. But could this be a clue that lets us know that the rapture could happen this afternoon, church? That this thing, this thing is getting close. So that was one clue he gave to the signs of the times. But then he also went through, through the entire chapter. And I just want to, I'm going to move quickly, but I want to give you some other clues that he pointed out. He said that, that there would be wars and rumors of wars. Let's see today. Is there any, any wars, any rumors of wars? Come on, there's Russia and Ukraine. There's Israel and Hamas, that thing threatening to become a regional conflict and not just a conflict between two countries. There's China, their threat on, on uh, Taiwan. I'd say we live in a day where there's wars and rumors of wars. Said that nation would rise against nation and when we hear that often we think of countries and conflict but if you actually look at that word in the greek the word for nations it's it's not speaking of a country it actually the word is ethnos the word we get our word from ethnicity nation arising against nation has more to do with racial conflict than countries in conflict let's see is there any racial conflict Natural disasters, Jesus said, there'll be, there'll be natural disasters. Hmm. Earthquakes and floods and wildfires and polar ice caps melting and polar bears not catching seals. And I had to break the tension. It was just getting a little thick in here. That sounds like today, natural disasters. He said that uh, there would be persecution against Christians. In other words, Christians uh, you know, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be looked on lovely you know, anymore and, and appreciated and well-pleasing in society. Do we see that happening today? Christianity is no longer celebrated in our country. Said that there would be false teachers arise in the last days. You know, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this, you know, years ago, I thought he, what he's talking about is like, there's going to be some cults rise up. You know, we'll have another Waco or another Jim Jones or, or whoever. But you know, I don't think that's really what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about false teachers in the way of cult leaders. The more I live and the more I experience, you know what I think it's talking about? I, th I think it's talking about our pulpits. It's talking about our pulpits and denominations and churches moving from the truth of the gospel to appease the itching ears of a perverse uh, generation. Said that iniquity would abound. There would be a rise in iniquity. Can you look in the world around us and say there's things happening that never Never imagined we could have seen. Anybody? I don't know about you. When I look at these signs, I'm like, whoa. Whoa, this thing may be close. I mean, we may be getting to the very end. There's some skeptics among us, though there always is. Just ask, ask your neighbors, is that you? 
You know, I've had people say, well, you know, Jody, if you look back in history, you'll see that there has always, always been iniquity. There's always been false teachers. There has always been, you know, every generation thinks, oh, this couldn't get any worse. This has to be the very end. It's always happened. And then that's true. Yes. I mean, we can look back in history, but you know, verse eight of Matthew 24 says something interesting. It says that, that all these things are going to mark the beginning of sorrows. Well, that little phrase right there, beginning of sorrows, you know what it's talking about? It's, it's talking about childbirth. A woman in childbirth. It's a reference to and a comparison to childbirth. Now, how many of you remember the first time you were pregnant? I remember this when Laurie was pregnant for our first child. And, and you know, four or five months in, Braxton Hicks. Anybody know what a Braxton Hicks contraction is? You know, all of a sudden in the middle of the night, oh, I'm having contractions. Oh, snap. What are we doing? Right? Was that a contraction? Absolutely. But it wasn't the real contractions. And I believe when we look back through history and say, you know, there's, there, we've always had natural disasters and we've always had things. Could it be that those were just the Braxton Hicks? How do you know when it's real? Intensity and frequency. Intensity and frequency of the contractions helps you know that this is the real time. I've just got young mothers all around the room smiling at me, wishing their husbands knew, right? Intensity and frequency. And so I believe what God is saying here is, yes, there's always throughout history, there's always been, been some of these indicators, but when you look that it's getting more and more intense and more and more frequent, it could be a sign that this thing is coming to an end. And then it also says in Matthew chapter 24 that, that life will be happening just like it was happening in the days of Noah. Remember the story of Noah? Noah out there building his boat, building his ark. Took him, took him over a hundred years to build that thing. He's out there working the whole time, preaching, the end is near. Big sandwich board, the end is near. Oh, that's just old Noah. You know, 20 years in, oh, that's just old Noah. 60 years in, that's just old Noah. And the Bible said it'll be just like in the days of Noah that, that people are just gonna be going about their life. We're gonna be getting married and we're gonna be going to school and we're gonna be getting our careers and we're gonna be conducting business. It's just normal life. But in the same way that it happened with Noah, it was just normal life, just normal life, just normal life until it wasn't just normal life. Because all of a sudden, one day, that first raindrop fell. And then the, the sprinkle turned into a little heavier of a downpour. And all of a sudden, people begin to take notice. They weren't just doing life anymore. All of a sudden, there may be some truth to this Noah thing. And the Bible said that at some point, Noah and his family went in the ark. And it said that God closed the door. And how many of you know that the neighbors by this time were probably running to Noah? standing on the outside of that ark, beating on that door. Little pig, little pig, let me in. Yeah, that was really funny, you guys, I don't understand. You're in church, it's okay, right? I think that's the way it's gonna happen for us too. I mean, that's what Jesus said. 
That, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know this stuff's going on in the world and I know there's these clues out here and I know there's this stuff here, but you know, I'm busy and I'm just doing my life and I'm just going about, about my daily routine and I'm just whatever it is, whatever it is. Church, one day, one day life as we know it is gonna change and it's gonna change in an instant. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24 that two men are gonna be working in a field and one of them, one of them's gone and the other one's left. It says that there's gonna be two women grinding at the mill. If you put that in English terms, there's gonna be two women at Walmart. <laughs> one of them gone, one of them left. I wanna comfort you with these words, but I wanna challenge you with these words. Let's not get caught up just doing our life. Let's not just get caught up with our eyes down on this planet and without our eyes being lifted. Jesus says this, and then it's interesting because right after chapter 24, he rolls right into chapter 25 and begins with the parable of the 10 virgins. They said there's 10 virgins and they were part of this they're part of this wedding party and they didn't know when the wedding was coming though. They didn't know when, when the groom was gonna show up and say, now is the time for the wedding. They were just doing their thing. They were just doing life. And all of a sudden at midnight, the time when nobody expected it, the bridegroom stepped out, said, it's time. Announced, his, announced the time for the wedding Bible says that 50% of those virgins, five of those 10 virgins were prepared. They had oil in their lamps is the way the Bible re it reads. They were ready. And when they heard the voice of the groom, they responded and they were able to go and make connection with him. The other five were left scrambling. They're trying to make up for lost time. They're trying to, to try to do things and, and get things in order, but it's too, it's too late. Jesus finished chapter 24 and rolled right in to chapter 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. I wanna to say to you, church, none of us know the time or the hour that he's coming and Jody's not gonna to try to put a date on things. Bible tells us we can't know that, but we can have oil in our lamps, right? We can and should live with an eye toward heaven, looking up for our redemption draweth nigh. We need to not just get caught up on what's happening here at this planet. And you may have good things happening. In fact, you know, I believe the biggest challenge is those of us who have good things happening on this planet, we can get distracted by our good things. Please let, you all hear me on that? I mean, and we're, we're in America. Most of us have, compared to the rest of the world, good things, right? But if we're not careful, our good things will be our downfall. We'll find ourselves without oil in our lamp. We're gonna be in heaven one day, church. We're gonna be in heaven one day. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I don't know about you. Maybe the older I get, the more I will. Can any of you people who are a few years older than me agree that you spend a little more time doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be um, face to face with our Savior. 
perfect relationship and connection with our Father. We're going to be with, with our loved ones. Um, the frailty and the, and the uh, difficulties of this planet left behind. Remember when my daughter came to me years ago and was like, Dad, heaven sounds really boring. What are we going to do? Like, I get that. I get that. You know what my answer is, and I truly believe this. I believe that for the first million or so years, we're not going to be able to take our eyes off of Jesus. I just think we're going to sit there staring at him, and you won't even know it. The ever unfolding God, I think we'll sit there with our eyes fixed on him as his character is revealed eternally. We see new facets of who he is. I don't think we're going to be bored, church. I don't think we're going to care about golden streets. I don't think we're going to be care about gates made of pearls. I don't think we're going to be distracted with mansions. I believe we are going to be fixated on the God of heaven as we look into him perfectly. Amen.